let's open to Luke chapter 7, if you would, please. Luke chapter 7. Did you get a blessing from that youth camp report and those kids? Wasn't that something? Man, that was just awesome. I know in, in our home, Amy went to the camp, and even last night, that was one of the major points of discussion over dinner. That youth camp is just still, the effects of it in a good way are lingering on. So moms and dads, I can promise you all the time and effort it takes to get the kids there and prepared for this, very worth it. And Thursday nights are always a great event as well. They, they just have a great time with that. So might I say thank you to those, uh, Sila and Jaliz uh, and, and Garrett, all the time you put into it. It's, it's a real, real blessing. Thank you so much for that camp. All right, Luke chapter 7 and verse number 29 is where we're going to begin. Just read a couple of verses this morning. I contemplated whether or not I should go ahead and finish the chapter, but I think these two verses will give us enough to chew on for the, for the morning. Verses 29 and 30, the Bible says, And all the people that heard him and the publicans justified God, being baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves, being not baptized of him. And this morning, based on these two verses, I'd like to preach for you a message called, You're right, I'm wrong. You're right, I'm wrong. I'm not preaching about husbands and wives. <laughs> about God and the sinner, you're right, and I'm wrong. Let's bow our heads and let's pray about this. Father, thank you. I've already been blessed and encouraged. The singing was outstanding. The, the kids and what we got to see in the, from the camp and hearing them sing that song, Lord, I, it just... It's a special kind of excitement to see kids loving you. I pray that you please bless the sermon now. Help us as we go through these two verses. Might you speak to our hearts. Please, Father, fill me with your spirit. Communicate to your people. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So just a little technical aspect. Uh, you might remember from the uh, weeks gone by, Jesus has been speaking in the passage. And then I believe in verse 29 and 30, this is Luke inserting a comment, almost a summary statement, and then we're going to come back in verse 31 to Jesus speaking. You can see in verse 31, and the Lord said. So it seems as if a short break in the narrative in verse 29 and 30. Now, I only point that out for interest's sake. Some people do think that Jesus is the one saying, verses 29 and 30, because Jesus was talking about John the Baptist, and, and even Further on in the chapter, he will continue to talk about John the Baptist. Verses 29 and 30 is, a, I believe, a summary statement of how people reacted to John's ministry. And I think Luke just inserted that comment. And in so doing, he breaks down that generation that heard John into two groups. And to be honest, I think we could still break down all of humanity into these two groups. There are lots of ways to break humanity into groups, like, you know, who likes chocolate, who doesn't? Who likes coffee, who dies? You could break it into anything you want. But this passage, I think, does a great job of bringing out something very important. Some people humbly submitted to the words of God, verse 29, and some people didn't, verse 30. That's pretty simple, isn't it? Some people, as you can see in verse number 29, justified God. Now, that's a strange phrase, right? You wouldn't think that God needs any justification, and technically he doesn't. God's always going to be right whether or not we agree with him. But the Bible says that these people 
when they submitted to the baptism of John, in so doing, they justified God. The word justified means to declare right or to declare righteous. So what these people are doing by going along with what John said about repentance and getting baptized, changing their lives, they're saying, God, you're right, I'm wrong. The people in verse 30, they did not verbally ever say, God is wrong, I'm right. They didn't need to say it verbally, they said it with their lives. Because regardless of who pointed it out to them, regardless of how much Scripture was shown to them, they were determined to do things their way. We know about the Pharisees, and you see the word here in verse 30, lawyers. That's another word for scribes. The, the scribes were the doctors of the law. They studied the law. So the, the lawyers and the scribes is one and the same group. And they, we know from other places, Jesus tells us much about them. They clung to the tradition of the elders. If I can bring it into a South African context, they were very much stuck on their ancestors. But they believed because we followed the traditions of our ancestors slash elders, we must be okay. And in so doing, without saying God's wrong, not verbally, they said it with their life. We are happy to do things our way. In the book of Proverbs, there's a powerful verse in chapter 14 and verse 12. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. That pretty much sums up our lives. You're either going to do it God's way or your way. The right way to do it, and this is a difficult statement, is to say, God, you're right. I'm wrong. I'll do it your way. You realize that's the heart and soul of faith and repentance? When you read in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 20, it says we, we preach repentance toward God and faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance and faith. You realize those two things have to go together because repentance is you changing your mind. So you thought this way and now someone has revealed to you that God sees that differently. So you say, God, I, I don't want to be at, in, in, in a contradiction with you. I don't want to be in, in crossways with you. You're right. I'm wrong. That's repentance. But then that must lead to faith saying, God, I, I get it, you're right, but now I want to take what you've said and apply it to my life. That's faith. That's agreeing with God and then putting it into action. I don't know if you're familiar with the story in the Old Testament where Moses warned the Egyptians. He warned everybody, Egyptians and Israelites alike, that there was going to be a plague of hail and to bring the cattle in out of the field. You guys remember the ten plagues? One of them was the hail coming down. So bring the cattle in out of the field. Listen to this passage. He that feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh made his servants and his cattle flee into the house. And he that regarded not the word of the Lord left his servants and his cattle in the field. Now that sounds like such a, a boring statement. you realize how profound that is? Some believed what was said, some didn't. Some said, I'll just do it my way. Well, in the end thereof are the ways of death. Paul gave us a very similar statement in Acts chapter 28. He preached to a group of Jews, and the Bible says in verse 24, some believed the things which were spoken, and some believed not. That's it. 
That's the summation of humanity. God commands all men everywhere to repent. What is he doing? In essence, he's saying, I want you to come in line with me. I have the right way of doing it. You have some wrong assumptions, misconceptions about life. Now bring this in line with me. This means you're going to have to come to a point where you look at God and say, God, you're right, I'm wrong, and then do something about it. It's not enough to simply say it. As we can see in the passage, these people followed through with what was put before them. They had to take a step to show exactly whose side they were on. So I want to give you three things from the passage, I believe, that jump off the page from verses 29 and 30. Number one, there needs to be an agreement with God. An agreement. Hold your place here. Get Amos chapter 3, please. Amos chapter 3, right after the book of Joel, if that helps. Amos chapter 3. I want you to see, and you'll see it clearly here, how important it is to agree with God. Verse number 3, Amos 3 and verse 3. The question is asked, can two walk together except they be agreed? Would you folks agree with me this morning that God wants to walk with you? Simple statement, but you'd agree to that, yes? You know there are terms and conditions to that? God is not going to let just anybody walk with him? You know back in the Old Testament when God brought the Israelites out of Egypt, the plan was to walk among them. That was the plan. But then the Israelites were so rebellious and spent so much time complaining about what God was giving them, the manna from heaven, and we're not getting there fast enough, and are we there yet, are we there yet, are we that constant? God said, enough is enough. I am going to fulfill my promise. I'll get them to the promised land because I'm a God of my word, but I cannot walk amongst these people. If I do, I will devour them. (laughs) You know, if you're saved, you're on your way to heaven. You have God's promise on that, and God is a God of His Word. If we believe not, yet He abideth faithful, He cannot deny Himself. God will do what He said He will do for you. He will work in you until the day of Jesus Christ. But you may not enjoy what He's doing in you if you do not come in line with Him, if you do not agree with Him and say, God, you're right. I'm wrong. You realize that is the statement that goes along with Christian growth? Your growth spiritually, you can map it out in your life at the number of times you have stopped, looked at your life, and went, you know what? God, you're right. I'm wrong. Those are the times that God has changed you and conformed you to His image. If you have not come up against that moment in your life, friend, you're not changing. You're not conforming. You're stuck in your own ways. Can two walk together except they be agreed? The answer is obvious. It's a rhetorical question. No. But now I want you to see the context. Look quickly at verse 1. Hear this word that the Lord hath spoken against you. Keep that in the back of your mind. The Lord hath spoken against you, O children of Israel, against the whole family which I brought up from the land of Egypt, saying, You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. God says, Listen, I did something for you that I did for no one else. You know better. And that's why I'm going to punish you. Because you should have known better. 
I told you, God says, I told you what is required in order to walk with me. You should have known that. But for some, some reason, the nation of Israel ignored what God had said and decided to do it their way. The, the way of the heathen. They wanted to get along with the nations around them instead of walking with God. In verse number 4, will a, a lion roar in the forest when he hath no prey? No. Will a young lion cry out of his den if he hath taken nothing? No. You know what he's getting at? God is the lion. The lion of the tribe of Judah. He says, listen, if I'm saying something, there's a reason. I'm not just saying it to hear myself speak. God speaks to us. You cannot agree with God if He doesn't say anything to you. Right? How are you going to nod along and go amen if He hasn't said anything? Too many times we, we fail to bring our life in line with God because we do, not, we do not put ourselves in a position to hear what God thinks about our lives. God has a lot of things to say about it. And he's, he's collected those things and put them in his word and he raises up a prophet or a preacher and says, you tell them what I've said, thus saith the Lord. I want them to come in line with me. The lion is roaring. Verse 5, can a bird fall in a snare upon the earth where no gin is for him? Well, no. Shall one take up a snare from the earth and have taken nothing at all? No. God is not going to do things uselessly in your life. If things are going on, God's trying to get your attention. He's trying to show you what that, what's going on. That thing is not right. And He loves you and He wants to walk with you so He's pointing it out. Verse number five, uh, six, forgive me. Shall a trumpet be blown in the city and the people not be afraid? You better take it serious. That trumpet sounds, it means there's a war afoot. You understand that? When a trumpet sounds, the war is about to happen. The Bible right, is like... The sound of the trumpet. The watchman is the preacher. And when God says something's going on, blow that trumpet, warn the people. you got to take that serious. Verse 6, shall there be evil in a city and the Lord hath not done it. Now he's talking about like a natural disaster, a famine, an earthquake, something of that nature. He's saying you need to pay attention when these things start to fall apart. That's God trying to get your attention. Verse 7, surely the Lord God will do nothing, but he revealeth his secret unto his servants, the prophets. When God's trying to speak to you, He'll send somebody into your life to say, explain it for you. You're going this way, but God wants you to go that way. And that is your moment. That is your pivotal moment to decide who's right. Am I going to do it God's way or my way? Look at verse 8. The lion hath roared, who will not fear? The Lord God hath spoken, who can but prophesy? So once God has made it clear this is what He desires, how can we hold back? There is nothing more important than you finding out what God desires from your life. And once that lion roars, you need to react somehow. Come back to Luke chapter 7. Well, forgive me, you have Luke 7, don't you? Can I ask you to flip over to Isaiah chapter 55? Isaiah chapter 55. When John the Baptist stood up to preach, like all the prophets that had come before him, it was, thus saith the Lord. It was, I've come to fulfill Scripture. John would tell the publicans, stop doing this. 
Then he would tell the soldiers, stop doing that. The people would come and say, what do we do? He says, stop this and start that. We studied this in Luke chapter 3. John was very specific and particular. He addressed each person's life stage and said, here's what you specifically need to do. Once God has revealed that to you, now as they say, it's go time. You're going to have to show, do I agree with that? Do I disagree with that? God has to first make it available to you. He has to put his words out there. Here's what we do so often though. You know, God works mysteriously. We always say that. It's, God works mysteriously. Does, does he? Yes. Sure he does. Sure he does. I can't figure out what he's doing. Not all the time. But he's not nearly as mysterious as some people think. There's a lot of things that God does and he tells us plainly, here's what I'm doing. Now, are you on board with this or not? But if we go through life Eyes covered, ears covered, nah, 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 just busy. Nah, I don't want to listen. I don't want to listen. I don't want to listen. You're just dead set that you got it figured out. And God's trying to say, listen, there's another way. Look at Isaiah 55 and verse number 8. This is a favorite passage for this. My thoughts, God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Uh, many times this has been quoted. I'm sure you're familiar with these verses. And they get quoted to say, we will never understand what God is thinking. Right? We will never understand what God is doing because His ways are so much higher than ours. But look at the next verse. For as the rain cometh down, how do we get what's in heaven down here to the earth? Send the rain. So just like the, the water falls out of the clouds, the words of God fall from heaven through the preacher's mouth, through the Bible, and into your heart. Look at verse 10. For as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth and maketh it bring forth in bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. We cannot agree with God unless God first says something. God has said something. So I didn't hear it. Ask him to say it again. There's a good chance that God is saying a lot more than we pick up on. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. Did you know when God speaks, you know, when, when that rain comes down, Rain can be a, a, a burden or a blessing, right? If it rains at the wrong time in the wrong place or a little too much, a lot of damage can come from rain. But also a big blessing. Sometimes we pray for rain, we beg for rain, and finally it's refreshing and it brings forth the fruit of the earth, yes? But sometimes it can also flood the earth and act as destruction. The Word of God is a two-edged sword. You see, it will accomplish that which God pleases. If you agree with him, down comes the fellowship and the joy and the peace of God that passes all understanding. But if you stand at odds with him, if you're against him, that thing's going to cut and it's going to hurt. In Luke chapter 7, we see that some people agreed and said, God, you're right. And then others in verse 30 said, God, we got a better way. And that leads me to my second point. The second thing I see in this 
is that some people are against God. And I want to say this on top of that, God is against them. Why is it so difficult to agree with God? You would think that would be kind of a foregone conclusion, right? If God says it, he must be right. We know that, yes? Why is it so difficult then to agree with him? Because some of the things that God says are very sharp and very hard and very pointed and says, you're wrong. And when God says it like that, hey, God, calm down a little bit. Why, why you got to be rude about it? Because in verse number 30, look at the word that is used. The Pharisees and lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves. Now, let me tell you something interesting about that word against. That's actually, it's a word we still use in English now, but we use it differently. There, there was an older meaning for that word. You could use the word against, and that's how it's used here. If you are prepared for something, that was the word against. So it was for. You could put the word for them, uh, for in that place. They rejected the counsel of God for themselves. God had prepared this plan for them. But the old English way to say that is against them. Now, isn't this a bit strange? <laughs> it's almost opposite ends of the spectrum here. He's for you, but it sounds like he's against you. The word against and the word for actually mean the same thing in this verse. Man, the way that the Pharisees and lawyers heard it, they felt as if God was against them. They at least felt that the preacher was against them. And that's why I think so many people struggle to agree with God. Because it sounds like He's against us. Have you ever had a, have any of you that ever played sports? Have you ever had a coach that came down hard on you? You know He's for you, right? He's trying to make you better. But it sure does feel like He's against you. After, the, you know, the 50th lap you had to run or the 200th push-up you had to do or whatever that extra thing is that he's pushing you to get better. It feels like he's against you, but in, in actual fact, he's for you. you. They almost go together sometimes. This crowd, this, ver, this crowd in verse 29, it says the people, all the people heard him and the publicans justified God. You know, you know what I found? The overtly wicked crowd, the, the crowd that is wicked and they know it, they rarely struggle to acknowledge how bad they are. They know it. They don't even need a preacher to show up and say, hey, you're wicked. They knew that. Some of the easiest places that I've ever preached was, was not in a church. The easiest place I ever preached was in a prison. It's the easiest crowd to preach to, bar none, every time, every time. Right after I got saved, I had the chance to, I preached, my first place to ever preach was an old folks home, in a nursing home. That's a new kind of challenge. That's a challenge and a half. I had about 30 folks come out and they gathered up in the foyer and they all have their health challenges. So, I mean, they're in wheelchairs and some of them are nodding off. And uh, one lady, she just, you know, she was so sweet, but she wasn't, she wasn't right in her head. And she, she would kind of jog through the church service and steal people's balloons or pillows or, you know, snacks. And she would just run off. <laughs> we, I had a fight break out. I kid you not, halfway through my sermon, she took somebody's pillow, and that old lady got up and said, give me back my pillow, and she started <laughs> hitting. <laughs> we had to have the orderlies come and calm everything down. That was not an easy place to preach. But then I got invited to preach in a juvenile prison. 
And these were the hardest of the hard criminals in that area of Texas. And they, they brought me up into the cells. These are ages 7 to 17. Murderers, rapists, drug lords. I'm not joking. 15-year-old running the drug ring in that city. He was the head of it. So they had 12 of these criminals. They put me in the cell with them. And, and the guard says, Preacher, we'll be right out here. <laughs> and he's on the outside. And I'm on the inside with these 12, 11, 12 guys. And my turn to preach. I've, I've only preached one other time in my life. And I start in. I, the only thing I really know to preach at that time in my life, I hadn't studied a whole, whole lot, but I, I studied enough I could preach the gospel to him. And when you preach the gospel to somebody, you have to tell them, listen, Jesus died for you, but there's a reason he died for you. He died for you because you are a sinner. And because of your sins, you deserve to be punished. And although God doesn't want to punish you, He must punish you because He is a holy God. And God, because He loves you, He poured out His wrath on His Son. But make no mistake about it, God will not tolerate your sin. Somebody's going to pay for your sin. Either Jesus you can accept the payment he made or you're going to make your own payment. You will die and you will spend forever in a place called the lake of fire. And I preached that straight. And you know what those kids did? They're sitting there, yeah, 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 that's, that's right, that's right. They get it. You don't have to convince them that they're wicked. They already know it. You know the hard part about agreeing with God is when you already think that you're right. If you walk into the conversation already knowing you're wrong, that's the majority of the battle. It's the guy who shows up and says, I've got it all figured out. Verse 30. It's the Pharisee. It's the scribe. It's the guy who's been coming to synagogue, or in our case, a church their entire life. This is the crowd that John the Baptist put his preaching finger in their face and said, ye serpents, ye generation of vipers, who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? And don't you think... That just because Abraham is your great-great-great-great-great-granddaddy that you're going to be saved, that's not how it works. And he shot straight with them. And he said, guys, the wheat is going to be gathered into the barn, but the chaff will be burned with unquenchable fire. There was no mistaking John's message. He shot straight with them and said, if you don't repent and bring forth fruits, meet for repentance, you're going to bust hell wide open. Now see, the common man, verse 29, said, Amen, John, we're wicked. We need to hear that. Thank you. Good, good sermon. But the religious crowd, the ones that have studied it all their lives and thought they had it figured out, that's the crowd that just struggles to come in line with God. To think that God could say something against them. Why would God be against? We, we hear so much preaching, you know, if God be for us, who can be against us? Right? That, that's a verse in Romans. If God be for us, who can be against us? But I just showed you a verse in Amos where God was against his own people. He said something against them. Now listen, overall, if you look at the big picture, God is for us because he wants us to come right with him. Amen. He wants you this morning to come right with him. But make no mistake about it, you do not think that because God is for you in the overall sense that he is for everything you do in your life. There are going to be some things where God has to send somebody your way to say, hey, that ain't right. I'm against that. I'm against that. And that needs to change.
The Bible says clearly in Ezekiel 13, God said to the people, I am against you, saith the Lord. Let me give you some scripture that might help with this. And before I do, let, let me just point out, in case you struggle with that thought of God being against you and yet overall for you, parents, can I, can I use you as an illustration this morning? How many of you parents are for your children? You're for them. You're rooting for them, right? Yes, a few of you. The rest of you are already against them, but <laughs> still thinking about it. You're for your children. You want things to work out good for them, right? Amen, and I'm all for that. But you can't possibly tell me that you are for everything they do every day, every moment. you got to be against some of the things they do. you got to be able to say, booty sissy, that ain't right. You can't do that. That's not how people act. See, you don't have to be rude and mean about it, but you still have to point out when, it's, when something's wrong. And you do that because you love them. Do you see what God does? He points it out because He loves you and wants you to come right with Him. But you're going to have to admit, God, in this particular situation, you're against me, and it's my fault. You're right. I'm wrong. So I'll change. You're the Lord. You change not but since I'm not God, I have to change. You're right. I'm wrong. The best friend you'll ever have is somebody who will tell you the truth out of God's Word when you don't want to hear it. The Bible says in Psalm 119, Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Nothing shall offend them. If a person desires to have a life that comes right with God, and to walk in agreement with Him, they love it when someone points out what's wrong in their life. They're not offended by that. That doesn't cause them to storm out of the room angry and how dare He say that? Oh, He's just against me. Listen, I'm against that one thing that you're doing, but overall I'm trying to help. Great peace have they which love thy law. Nothing shall offend them. Proverbs tells us, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Watch out for the Judas that comes and kisses you, tells you what you want to hear. It looks like he's for you, but actually he's hurting you. But the guy who stands up and, and says it like it is and says, hey, I'm against that, that's the wound of a friend. He's trying to help. Paul wrote to the Galatians, with this question, am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? The Galatians felt like Paul was against them because he was pointing out their doctrinal mistakes. They were falling into false doctrine, and Paul said, Look, guys, I'm not against you. I'm the one trying to help. Jesus himself, in the last book of the Bible, says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Jesus says, the reason I'm being so sharp and so direct with you is because I do love you. Here's the church of the Laodiceans that says, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. They thought they had it all figured out. And Jesus said, let me show you what's really going on in your life. You're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in a fire, white raiment, eye salve, and guys, I'm telling you this to help you. That's what Jesus gives them. He gave them counsel. You see that in Luke 7, verse 30? 
He gave him counsel. Which brings me into my last point. Number three, something in both verses. You need to agree with God, recognize that God might be against you in some small points that need to come right. And then lastly, action. Action must be taken. You see it at the end of verse 29 and 30. They were baptized or they were not baptized of him. It's one thing to say, God, you're right. Okay, you're right. It's one thing to sit in church and say, amen, amen. I struggle to get you to do that. I struggle to get that much out of you. It's that difficult to go, amen. You realize what amen means? It means that's right. Amen. It's not that hard. We can't even get people to take that much of a stand. We can't get that much action. We're not asking you to get up and go down to the river right now during the sermon and get baptized. Just an amen would do for now. But we can't get that far. There's got to be some action, more than just a mental consent in your mind to say, I, I know, God's right, I'm wrong. Yeah, yeah, okay, that's fine. Okay, but, but what are you going to do about that? What action is going to be taken as a result of what you have heard? Now, as you've seen in the passage, baptism is a great way of making your position clear. Think of this, just play it out in your mind. Here's John the Baptist preaching down by the River Jordan. The people, thousands of them come his way. What shall we do, John? Do you have two coats? Go home and give, give one away. Publicans come. What do we do, John? Stop stealing money from people. Soldiers come. What do we do? Stop abusing people and stop complaining about your wages. And the Bible says that they went and did those things. And then they came back and said, John, listen, we've changed. You see? Here, I was doing this. Now I'm doing that. And John said, okay, well then come on down here with me. Come on down. And they said, okay, where are we going? Come on. Come on down here in the water with me. And they had to go get in the water. You realize everybody's watching? There's a couple thousand people. If you go down there in that water, you know what that's saying? I was wrong. And I'm trying to get right. Whoo, that's a big step to take. With everybody watching, can't I just, you know, religion's private. <laughs> no, it's not. No, it's not. No, it's not. Never has been. Never has been. Come on, man. Religion, is there a private aspect to religion? Yes, but is it private? Come on. Come on. Can't be private. John said, come on down. Come here in the water. This gentleman was wicked. <laughs> All he used to do is steal, complain, and abuse. And I can see that God's changed him. So I baptize him in the name of God Almighty, and up he comes. Now he goes, he's dripping wet on the shore, and he's walking through town. What happened to you? Well, I got baptized. Everybody knows. Everybody knows about this stand that you took. You know what that does? It offers a level of accountability. And those of you getting baptized today, this is your way of saying, I stand with God. I belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to serve God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit with my whole life. I want to be obedient to Him. This is the stand that I took. You realize in church history, over 50 million people have died because they got baptized as an adult after they got saved. 50 million on that one issue alone. And they were killed by other people claiming to be Christians. Man, thank God the worst thing we have to deal with is, is the water green or blue. 
No one's trying to kill you today for getting baptized. But I will say, there are some of you, it's a big step because you know your family's not going to be happy if you do. And I get it, it's a sacrifice. But, but for some of you, you've made that commitment many years ago, but maybe you've let that commitment slide. You know, it's one thing to get baptized. It's another thing to follow through with a life of repentance saying, God, you're right, I'm wrong. So whatever's wrong in my life, as you show me from your word what to change, I'll change it. It's not enough to simply say amen in the church service or to get baptized. If that's as far as you're going to take it, you've missed the point. God has set it up so that there are these ordinances that we go through. It's a symbolic gesture to say, this is my intention This is something I want to follow through on. This is the first act of many acts that will come from the rest of my life. Now, perhaps you've let that commitment slide, so I'm going to take you back to Exodus and give you a chance to recommit. There's nothing in Scripture that says after you've been baptized, if you backslide, you need to get re-baptized. Okay, nothing like that. But I do think it's a good idea every now and again to just check your heart and go, how committed am I to bringing my life in line with God's will? Because that's an ongoing process. And if that stops, then your walk with God has stalled. You know what Moses did? He goes up on the mount 40 days and 40 nights, yes? And then while he's up there, the Israelites are down there having a party. They strike up the rock band. They did. It was a rock band. I know it was. Rock and roll. 100% rock and roll. He said, how do you know? Because when he came down the mountain, he said to Joshua, I think I hear the noise of war in the camp. It was heavy metal rock and roll. (laughs) Or maybe a Christian church, one or the other. (laughs) But he said, and he looked down there, people dancing around with their clothes off, listening to this music, this noise of war, And God said, oh, man, Moses, you better get down there. I'm about to wipe those people out that you brought out of Egypt. So he gets down there, and he says, you knuckleheads, what have you done? And they all said, Aaron did it, Aaron did it. And Aaron, did you make this golden calf? Well, 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 uh, uh, you see, there was this gold, and I I, I put it in the fire, and out came a calf. (laughs) Okay, Aaron. Why don't you just say, Aaron, I was wrong I messed up. This is my fault. Aaron wouldn't do that. You know what God told Moses to do? He said, Moses, draw a line in the sand. Metaphorically, draw a line in the sand. I want you to call these people to yourself. And he said, you group of Levites, anybody that's standing with me, come this side. And Moses went on one side. He said, now you come on over here. And a few of them did. A few of them did. About 3,000. They come this side. And then he said, all right, you guys got your swords with you? Yep. Your brothers that have gone after that golden calf? You take a stand. Take your sword. Take a stand. That's a serious portion of Scripture. Do you realize how much courage that took? To go to their fellow Israelites and go, you went off the path. You took us following these false gods. We're standing with Moses. We want to be clear where we're standing. And they had to make it clear. You you know one thing we do in a church service to make it clear? 
We, we let people come to the altar. Right? But you know how we do it? We do it, heads bowed, eyes closed, right? I, I have you stand, heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around. How many times have you guys heard me say that? Because I don't want to make it any more difficult than it needs to be. I want to give you a legitimate chance to respond to what you've heard. But perhaps we shouldn't do it that way. When I was a young Christian, been saved about three, two, two three years, it's the wildest thing. One day, Brother Donovan was preaching. He was Dr. Ruckman's assistant now. He's the pastor there. While he was preaching, halfway through the sermon, somebody got up and came to the altar. First time I'd ever seen that. Just quietly, didn't make a show of it, just came up, prayed at the altar, spent about 10 minutes there, went back and sat down. And then somebody else came, and somebody else came. And it's, it became a thing. Whenever God had touched your heart, you would move. I, that's not a verse in the Bible. And, and I'm, not, I'm not pushing you to do the same. Although some of you can feel something stirring in your heart right now. That's the Holy Spirit saying, how about you take a stand? One thing I think I do as a pastor sometimes is I lower the bar enough so that everybody feels like they have a fighting chance. But perhaps we, put, we should put the bar up there a bit and go, hey, if you're serious about this, come take a stand. If God's touched your heart, if, if you need to come and say, God, you're right, I'm wrong. I, I want to get back in line with you. I want to start investigating. I want to avail myself. I want to put myself in a position where I hear as much as, as I can a critique from God on me because I want to be right with him. God, I want you to speak to me, about me, against me if you have to, because I know that's what I need. God, please help me. This has nothing to do with culture. I would do the same thing if I was in India, Malawi, America, doesn't matter. I'm not asking you to do one thing or the other. I'm not asking you to put a sword on your hip and go take out your brother. I'm going to offer you in just a moment an opportunity. We're going to have an altar call. And it's your chance to say, God, I've let that commitment slip. I haven't been taking the action that I need to. I, I agree with you, but I really haven't done anything about it recently. And while everybody's here and gathered and we're assembled, I want that accountability. I'm not ashamed of you. I'm not ashamed to be seen on your side. Here I come. And you can come and pray. I'm going to let you, you take that stand. Let you give that testimony. You know, there's, there's a time and a place somewhere in a church service where somebody can testify and say, God saved me. God changed me. God helped me. And by you saying it out loud, it holds you accountable. And we need that from each other. I'm going to give you an illustration as we're closing. 2,000 years ago, the Bible says Jesus came down, listen, and was numbered among the transgressors. He took his place with a bunch of sinners. 
He showed us whose side he's on. He came down and said, even though you've done everything against me, I am for you. And I'm going to hang right here between two sinners to show just how much I love you. Now listen, he left heaven and came down to this earth to take that stand. How far do you need to go to take that, to make that stand, to make your position clear where you're at with God? Heads bowed and eyes closed. I'm not even going to ask you to stand this morning. Heads bowed and eyes closed. And don't worry, we're going to open our eyes in a moment. I'm giving you a moment to think about what you need to do. I'm not reading into it one way or the other. If you, if you stay in your seat, if you come forward, guys, you just do what the Holy Spirit's telling you to do. Take some action. Jesus was not ashamed to call us brethren. Now, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. Say, God, you're right. I'm wrong. I've let my commitment slip. Lord, here I come. Here I come. I'm giving it all to you again. I want to do it right, God. I want to do it your way. If you've never been saved, friend, what a wonderful day for you to say to God, God, you're right. I'm a sinner. I deserve to be punished for my sins. Oh God, I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to live a life without you. I believe that Jesus died for me. I want him to live in my heart. Please, Lord, save me. You're right, I'm wrong. I yield to you. If you've never done that, would you come do that this morning? Would you come make that commitment? Unashamed. If you've come this morning and you want to be saved, would you, would you just slip your hand up? Somebody will help you. Somebody will come pray with you. Would you do that? Some, anybody here, just, you can slip your hand up, say, preacher, pray for me. I appreciate that. I see your hand. Brother Francois? Could you make your way this, this direction? Anybody else? You can just slip your hand up say, I want to get saved. I'd like a little bit of help with that. Anybody else want to talk about that? This gentleman here, can you help him? On the far side there. You know, the initial step of I want to say getting over your pride that's the hard part once you get past that and, and, it, and you've said it to God you're right I'm wrong oh, the joy that fills your heart you might just want to say to God I, God I, I, I don't think I've been the wife I, don't, I haven't been the husband that you want me to be I haven't been the employee, the student. Doesn't matter what part of life it is. I haven't been the church member, whatever it is. 
give you folks just a moment. Some are still praying. It might sound like a preacher is against you, but if he's telling you the truth out of God's Word, he, he's for you. He's trying to help. I'm trying to help. pianist is going to continue to play softly. I want to give you guys an opportunity to do something we've never done in this church. You can just let your eyes open and look, look up here for a moment. I'm going to do my best to obey God this morning. This is outside of my comfort zone. A little different. Could be helpful. Some years ago, I was in a church service and they asked if anybody wanted to testify. I had never testified in church before. I was a missionary. But I had never stood up and testified in front of everybody about anything. I was just getting started as a missionary. I, had, I, hadn't been, I haven't lived here or anything. And I remember my heart beating out of my chest. The Lord put it on my heart and said, give, give him a word. And I stood up and I just said, it's really good to be saved. That's all, that's all I could get out. I choked up for a minute and I said, you know, when, when we as sheep go astray, it's wonderful that the shepherd comes and finds us. That was it. Man, I felt some victory. Anybody have a word of testimony? You want to just tell us that you're saved? You want to say something that God's put on your heart? Amen. Amen. That's good stuff. Folks, thank you for a few extra minutes this morning. I think it was well worth it. I don't care how many times you have to do it, to recommit, to take that stand. It'll be a daily thing. You're right. I'm wrong. I'll happily do it your way, God. That's the Christian life. It's worth it. Father, thank you this morning, the testimonies we've heard. Thank you for how the Spirit of God has moved in our hearts and in this, in this building today. I do pray that as we head off for this baptism now, make it a special moment as these people take that stand, take that next step. And God, might all of us walk out today committed, dedicated to searching for your will, to exposing ourselves to your word so that we can find out how to bring our lives right with you. Everybody that came forward today, God bless that commitment. Help them with it. Thank you for your time today. In Jesus' name, amen.